Governor Kate Brown bans large public events to prevent the spread of coronavirus. Meanwhile, the number of cases of COVID-19 grows in Oregon. Schools and universities make adjustments to cope with the outbreak. And the U.S. Census kicks off in Oregon this week at the Warm Springs Reservation. These stories and more ahead on the Northwest Passage podcast. Hi, everybody. This is the Northwest Passage podcast from KLCC News. I'm Rachel McDonald. I'm Morning Edition host Donnie Katz. I'm reporter Brian Bull. I'm journalism fellow Elizabeth Gabriel. A lot is happening with the coronavirus outbreak, and things may have changed by the time you're hearing this podcast, which we're recording on Thursday morning. In fact, we just heard from Governor Kate Brown, who um, the Oregon Governor Kate Brown, who announced this morning that she would, she's banning all public gatherings of more than 250 people statewide for four weeks. That's effective immediately as of today. We find ourselves in an unprecedented public health crisis, a rapidly evolving global pandemic. Most of us have never experienced anything like this. What is clear today that, is that we must take immediate action to stem the spread of COVID-19 coronavirus in our communities. Our strategy now in Oregon is shifting away from one of containing isolated cases of COVID-19. Now we are focused on preventing the worst impacts of a mass outbreak from coming to pass. And so this has affected, obviously, large events in our area, in our state. And we're also hearing some news from schools about what they're doing to stem this spread. And Ani, um, you have some updates on that. I do. Yeah. And then we can take a look at what else is kind of going on in our region, like what's happened over the last week. And I do want to start off by saying, I think yesterday was the first time that I started feeling a little bit freaked out about coronavirus. Um, and I think maybe many of you can relate to that. Um, and what I'm trying to tell myself and what I want to remind everybody is that um, nothing has changed aside from the fact that it's now here. Everything that we knew about coronavirus when it was just in Wuhan, China, and then when it started kind of leaving, uh, you know, that area uh, is still true. We know how it's transmitted. We know who the highest risk groups are. Um, They're figuring out how to treat it. It's just that it's actually here now. It's not just further away in Seattle or in Italy. It's here in Oregon. And now we're starting to see our daily life affected by it. So I just want to kind of say that at the beginning and just try to everybody, you know, like stop hoarding toilet paper, don't buy masks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, let's just all try to stay calm. So schools, Uh, 4J has sent an email to families uh, that said it is suspending all non-essential school activities. This includes uh, field trips, assemblies, events, and more. And I just have to shout out my daughter's uh, Oregon Battle of the Books team. Their competition was supposed to be this weekend. It has been canceled like so many others. And the email from 4J was very sensitive because this is that time of year when athletic championships are happening and other things that kids have been working towards all year, proms, um, that's may not happen. That stuff may not happen. And so um, 4J recognizes that it's disappointing for a lot of people, but it this is to keep us safe. Uh, both the U of O and OSU are holding winter term final exams remotely not open book, right? (laughs) (laughs) They're encouraging that travel during spring break be avoided. And when spring term begins on March 30th, the same date for both schools, classes will be delivered remotely for at least three to four weeks. And these universities are obviously going to be continuing to monitor the situation and will, um, you know, update with any changes as need be. Well, we had announcements of new confirmed presumptive cases in Oregon 
on Wednesday, yes. um, including in Lynn County, which is right next door to Lane County. We still haven't seen any cases in Lane. Still, as of the time of recording, no positive tests for coronavirus. That doesn't necessarily mean it's not here. It just means that the tests are A, a little hard to get, and B, they're not, maybe people don't know that they're sick. Earlier this week, the Oregon Department of Human Services had issued a policy to limit exposure to COVID-19 at long-term care facilities. Um, And then, Rachel, like you said, two men in their 80s at a veteran's home in Lynn County have tested positive. And just something to keep in mind, most of the COVID-19 related deaths in Washington are tied to a Kirkland nursing home. So this is obviously a very uh, at-risk population. Where else have we seen positive tests? Because we had more cases come up recently. So COVID-19 is in several counties in Oregon, both urban and rural. And I'm not going to list them all, but you know this ranges from Multnomah and Washington counties to now Lynn and Jackson counties. And Deschutes. And Deschutes County, exactly. Um, Lane County has opened a call center to answer community questions about COVID-19. They want to emphasize it is a non-emergency line, and it is only for answering questions about COVID-19. So don't call about you know issues with garbage pickup in your neighborhood. Um, and the idea really is to provide accurate, up-to-date information. Um, The reason being for that is just as a, a personal anecdote, I was at the gym yesterday in the locker room and listening, you know, overhearing a conversation between two women who were talking about all this stuff that as someone who works in news, I knew not to be true. And so this is a time when rumors can really get started and really scare people. And so this county hotline is kind of there to make sure that the rumors don't get too out of control. And that number is 541-682-1380. And it's staffed nine to four on weekdays. And my understanding from what the county told me this week is that it has been very busy. So Rachel, you went and covered a press conference uh, yesterday uh, from Lane County Health officials, and they announced a new measure to prevent uh, its spread here in Lane County, recommending that people who are older than 60 years um, and those with pre-existing health conditions avoid large gatherings. And these are situations basically where you can't maintain a six-foot perimeter between yourself and others. So this would include religious services, going to the movies, maybe you were going to go see Tosca this weekend, maybe don't do that if you're over 60. And those those gatherings may have been canceled at this point because of the announcement from the governor. Here's a quote from Jason Davis with Lane County Health talking about why they made this decision. Right now, this recommendation is really putting their primary health first. And so there will be difficulties uh, to accomplish this task of, of distancing in this way. Um, but at this time, we feel it's appropriate and, and the right measure to take. So even though it's very exciting that here in Eugene and then, of course, in Corvallis, we have lots of basketball teams playing in March Madness. And the news this week that not only has the NBA suspended the rest of its season, NCAA is still playing, but there will be no fans allowed to watch these games. So it's going to be kind of eerie to, I guess, watch the games on television. And there won't be any applause because there's nobody there. Yeah, and we did hear um, an interview with NPR's Tom Goldman hmm. <laughs> on Morning Edition, and he mentioned that that could even change because with the NBA making that decision to halt or postpone the season, NCAA may once again make a new decision. Um, we'll see. Right. So this could be different once you hear this podcast. This is a very, you know, kind of an evolving situation. <laughs> so even though it seems like this was 
maybe a million years ago, it does to me. Um, Governor Brown, unrelated to coronavirus, did uh, sign an executive order this week that ex- that ordered the state to lower greenhouse gas emissions. Um, it directs a state agency to set and enforce caps on pollution from industry and transportation fuels. It aims to reduce carbon emissions to at least 45% below 1990 levels by 2035, and then by 80% from 1990 levels by 2050. Now, as we all know, and again, this feels like it was 100 years ago, Republican lawmakers who are in the who are in the minority in the legislature staged a walkout to sabotage that cap and trade bill that aimed for many of the same climate goals. Um, the order is expected to face legal challenges, obviously from industrial opponents. And the reason she signed the order is basically because they couldn't get the bill passed uh, in the legislature. Wow, busy week already. Yeah, I'm should tired. Be, should be interesting to watch the uh, political repercussions of that, but. A lot of that may be muted just because of the coronavirus fears. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Well, they did actually have to, um, they had a meeting on, hold on, let me bring this up. The the legislature's 20-member emergency board actually did meet earlier this week because there was some important allocation, allocation. There was some important allocating of funds that needed to happen, um, one of which was $5 million towards helping state battles, sorry, towards helping state officials battle COVID-19. They also allocated funding for flood relief in eastern Oregon. That actually got the majority. I think a total of $25 million Mm -hmm. was allocated, and um, almost half of that went to the, you know, eastern Oregon uh, flood-ravaged areas. So something did get accomplished quickly. Right. (laughs) Very quickly. (laughs) Brian, you covered some some stories that aren't necessarily related to COVID-19 this week. Not necessarily, but right now as we speak, I am checking in with our colleague to the east, uh, OPB's Emily Curtin, who is going to Warm Springs today to cover the uh, kickoff for the 2020 census. And uh, there was an event planned with a large gathering of people to uh, kick off the census count with a tribal elder and veteran there, as well as have a mini powwow. Uh, So this is a pretty big deal. Um, The 2010 census is estimated to have undercounted Native Americans by almost 5%, and organizers this time want to make sure that everyone gets accounted for. Uh, So the uh, very first count in Oregon is going to be held in Warm Springs. I talked to Shana Radford, who's the U.S. Census Bureau's Tribal Partnership Specialist for Oregon and Idaho, and she says with uh, $675 billion in federal money at stake, they can't afford to overlook anyone. Tribal reservations and off-reservation folks utilize a lot of the services that receive grants. For instance, school lunch programs, Head Start programs, dollars for transportation. Uh, this is also the week when census mailings are going to be arriving in people's mailboxes everywhere across the United States. Uh, Radford says given the remoteness of some Warm Springs tribal members, census workers are actually going to be personally dropping off census forms rather than just uh, stick them in the P.O. box. Uh, and there are many Native Americans who are employed in this effort, I'm sure to help give people a face that they can identify with. There are actually a, a fair number of Native Americans who distrust the federal government for historical reasons, to put it simply. So, Brian, one thing that we do know about census takers is that they do a lot of face-to-face visits. Are there concerns about coronavirus being spread by this personal contact between strangers, like being less than six feet apart? That's a very valid concern, and organizers are reminding people that census takers don't necessarily have to be the only source for information. 
so you can call a special number for the census. You can also do it online or just mail it in. Uh, coordinators just want to remind people to either glue or tape the envelope shut. You don't lick it uh, because saliva can transmit uh, diseases. And the deadline for participating in the census is the end of July this year. And my other story for this week uh, looked at CAHOOTS, which is Crisis Assistance Helping Out on the Streets. It's a service that nears 31 years this summer, and $280,000 in the City of Eugene's latest budget means that this organization, CAHOOTS, can expand its hours, and that includes five service hours for its Eugene operations. Here's Operations Coordinator Tim Black on how this benefits both clients and CAHOOTS teams. That allows us to have two vans responding to calls at the same time from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And we've seen a drastic reduction in how long calls are holding before the Hoot teams are able to respond. Our, our teams are able to breathe a little bit between calls instead of just running from one thing to the next. So is it true that Cahoots is also inspiring other cities to explore their own mobile crisis units? Black says Denver, Vancouver, Washington, and possibly San Francisco have been in touch with them on how to design, fund, and implement a model very similar to CAHOOTS. Uh, CAHOOTS is credited, has been for decades, for freeing up police to tackle actual crimes versus responding to people who are in mental distress. So this can be a model that advocates say largely pays for itself in terms of both crime prevention and resource management for cities. And then Black also mentioned that CAHOOTS and the White Bird Clinic have been working with Portland on its response pilot project in the streets as well as what's called Hygiene for All, and that's a chance for the homeless to have access to clean and sanitary linens and sleeping gear, as well as uh, having proper hygiene, which, again, is always a good thing in this age of coronavirus. So as you mentioned earlier, Ani, um, I think it's important, when we're talking about schools during this time of coronavirus, I think it's important to remember that universities such as the U of O are still open, Um, They are still technically operating as normal. Administrators are still required to be at school, but classes are being being done remotely. The U of O has also canceled non-essential events and gatherings of more than 50 people, which is also a concern for the Board of Trustees meeting. Um, But when I spoke to Kay Jarvis, the U of O's public affairs public affairs director this morning, she mentioned that the Board of Trustees meeting will still take place this March 16th and 17th. At this meeting, they will talk about possibly implementing a fixed tuition model. Um, And if they do that, tuition will increase by 3% per year for current students and increase roughly 11% for incoming resident students. Um, Tuition for incoming students would then be locked in for a four-year period. 11% though? That's huge. So Elizabeth, the, nice, the one thing about these Board of Trustees meetings is they are streamed live on the web. I am, I guess, a bit concerned because when I spoke to a few students after the last meeting, they were frustrated because they felt like their voice wasn't being heard at these meetings. Um, so I'm wondering if students feel like they should be, feel like the meeting should be canceled until students can be in attendance. But I'm not sure. That's a good question. In other news, uh, the Eugene-based Disorient Asian American Film Festival of Oregon is celebrating their 15th anniversary this week. The event is supposed to last until March 17th. Susan Hirata is the Disorient Program Director, and she said that the volunteer-run festival allows community members to hear more about the experiences of what it means to be an Asian American. When you only have one story, 
then that becomes the narrative that has to represent all Asian Americans because it's the only one people have heard. Right now, we aren't all rich <laughs> and live in Singapore in very expensive mansions. That's not the whole narrative of Asian Americans. I actually just spoke to one of the directors of the Disorient Film Festival Thursday morning, and she mentioned that they're now having remote Q&As because of the coronavirus. They're also monitoring the CDC recommendations and will we'll evaluate things as, as conditions progress. And I've heard too, Elizabeth, that Asian Americans are kind of uh, being affected by the coronavirus along prejudicial lines that many people, uh, they're, they're contending with a lot of racism too, because people see all this footage coming out of China, especially, and they just figure that any Asian looking person on the street may be carrying coronavirus. Yeah, so they're all, they're also putting out a call to action, hoping that people will not discriminate against Asian American community members and will remain respectful during this time. There was a, a group of, a photo kind of shared online earlier this week of a group of, I believe they were college students dressed up as the coronavirus. They were wearing panda suits and kind of uh, silk, you know, pajama looking things. Um, so of course, uh, that's something that, um, you know, we all need to pay attention to that it doesn't devolve into like, you know, it was some specific country or race's fault. Right. That's yeah. awful. And when yeah. they designated the coronavirus and COVID-19, one of the things they did early on was do not designate it by geography. Right. Yeah. Right. This is the Northwest Passage from KLCC News. I'm Rachel McDonald with Ani Katz, Brian Bull, and Elizabeth Gabriel. And it's time for us to talk about one more thing from the week's news that stuck with us. And Brian, do you want to start? Well, I have to say this this does involve coronavirus. Uh, there's It's been said before that a crisis can bring out the best and worst in people. And on the best side, people are really stringently washing their hands. They're being mindful of their impact on others and doing what they can to follow officials' advice. On the flip side, uh, coronavirus hucksters have emerged, uh, which includes convicted televangelist Jim Baker, he is currently being sued by the state of Missouri for selling fraudulent coronavirus cures called the Silver Solution. Uh, Baker is best known perhaps for hosting the PTL Club back in the 70s and 80s uh, and was uh, later jailed for defrauding millions out of his followers. And he was also rocked by a sex scandal around the same period. Yeah, this is the Tammy Faye Baker guy, that right? That is the yes. same one. He, he looks very different right now. He's bald. He's got a beard. But... Yeah, he's still uh, saying very questionable things. And this one right here, he, he uh, peddled the so-called silver solution with a supposed health expert on the Jim Baker show. And then in another instance, uh, InfoWars founder and conspiracy theorist Alex Jones is peddling toothpaste that he claims kills the coronavirus. Oh my God. And what? get this, it's even on uh, discounted rates. I think only $80 a tube last what I checked. What a deal. Oh yes. my God. Uh, the FDA has issued warning letters to several companies for selling fraudulent COVID-19 products, and the agency says, quote-unquote, and intends to take further action as appropriate. So in these very disconcerting times, it's very important to keep in mind that a COVID-19 vaccine is still being developed, and there's still quite a lot to learn about the coronavirus in general. Uh, so it's going to take time. Estimates at best say it's about a year away from being developed. So special quote-unquote cures are circulating across the internet and social media from 
essential oils to what's called nano silver or colloidal silver. So buyer beware, you're still best washing your hands thoroughly with soap, suppressing coughs into disposable tissues or your elbow, and staring clear of crowds. And something else that I learned um, this week, actually, after um, doing yoga next to a very sniffly individual um, on Morning Edition, actually, is that it, with COVID-19, you will not have a runny nose. If you, you may have a runny nose because of something else, maybe because there's a lot of allergies in the air right now. But as I was kind of sitting next to this fellow and just feeling very like, oh, my God, I need to go bathe in bleach. When I came in the next morning and heard that story, I was actually kind of comforted by that, that the coronavirus symptoms do not include uh, you know, runny nose and sneezes like a common cold. The thing that's dis- dis- disconcerting is when people are coughing in mm. public and not covering their cough because coughs are yes. a symptom of, yeah. of the coronavirus. Right, exactly. You're just kind of hurling those germs out into the universe to share, which is lovely. So also about coronavirus, and Ani mentioned this earlier, uh, the NBA season has been canceled. Um, Utah jazz player Rudy Gobert, known to now known to have coronavirus, was minutes away from starting a game Wednesday night when they canceled it. Um, I've also heard that days before this game, that same player was touching microphones and is now because he was making light of the coronavirus mm-hmm. situation. Um, so hopefully there are repercussions for that. <laughs> Yeah, that's just one of those stories where, you know, again, Tom Goldman on Morning Edition today describing that. And I just kind of had to, I I had no words, actually. (laughs) I think there was that Republican congressman from Florida who uh, people said was making light of the coronavirus by wearing a gas mask when they were signing off on the coronavirus aid, who I believe was one of those who may have been affected. A lot of the humor and making light of it seems to have really uh, gone by the wayside. Just to um, piggyback on that, in news about the NBA, we did just hear from our reporter, Lev Cross, that the Pac-12 tournament, the men's basketball tournament in Las Vegas, has been called off. Wow. That just happened here on Thursday morning. It's crazy how many events are canceling, and it kind of makes me concerned for Olympic trials. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I was really... And I'm sure a lot of folks were really troubled to hear that actor Tom Hanks and his wife Rita Wilson mm-hmm. have been have tested positive for COVID-19. I guess that news, you know, it just really makes me feel like, oh, this could happen to anyone. It does make coronavirus feel all that much more close and personal because Tom Hanks is such a beloved actor. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. um, One thing, too, about this is um, I read in the New York Times that the couple contracted the illness and were tested for the virus in Australia. And apparently in Australia, tests are free and much more available than here in the United States. And so that raises the question of why that is. Hopefully, we'll be seeing more of a loosening of uh, the criteria for testing for the virus. It seems like knowing that you have the illness is really important um, right now. And so, yes, of course, we are being as cautious as possible, washing our hands, wiping down surfaces, you know, being aware of our distance from people. But this is getting concerning. It is. I think, yeah, the Tom Hanks uh, news and Rita Wilson is... uh, as someone who grew up watching him, that that's just like a non-starter. For, yeah. I, can, I don't think I'll make it. It's not okay if, if that it becomes worse. <laughs> um, Bonnie, we need some non-coronavirus <laughs> uh, pick-me-ups. 
<laughs> so, well, actually, there, I could tie this to coronavirus because apparently no. the, the second verse of this, this is your royal reporter, uh, Ani Katz, <laughs> uh, your royal correspondent. Apparently, the second verse of God Save the Queen is 30 seconds long. And so that is an option, as I, I read earlier oh. this week, for uh, a hand-washing song. Oh, great. Um, among, you know, Baby Shark, I guess, is what the kids are being taught. But I personally am going to really enjoy... Well, first, I have to know... I have to, you have to learn the words. I have to learn the words. <laughs> I was going to ask if you... I and, then, you. and then I can sing <laughs> God Save the Queen. So this week, the royal family gathered at the annual Commonwealth Day service held at Westminster Abbey. Um, the Queen, Her Majesty the Queen, was there. Uh, the Duke and Duchess of uh, Cambridge, of course, William and Kate were there and making their final appearance as senior royals uh, were the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Harry and Meghan. They're going to go back to Canada uh, or I guess North America um, as as they were before. And um, they made a lot of public appearances this whole week in the UK. Um, and it was really seen as like this farewell kind of tour, his last appearance as, you know, commander in the British military. Um, she uh, let me think about how to say this. Um, it's very bittersweet. They are going off to hopefully uh, live a beautiful private life, um, but they really went all out this week with their with their appearances, um, showing up for charities that have been very important to them, and for people that really like to read into this stuff. And they really do make a point to not make mistakes about this. So I don't think it was an accident. Um, all of her sartorial choices this week were the colors of the Union Jack flag, which I thought was really cool. The reason I can be pretty confidently say that is because. Also, William and Kate were visiting uh, Ireland at the end of last week slash over the weekend. And Kate, in all her appearances, wore the colors of the Irish flag. So a lot of times these things aren't accidents. Um, and so I think Megan was kind of, you know, maybe trying to, without so many words, but just with her wardrobe choices, say goodbye to the UK. So that's it. They're no longer senior members of the royal family. Pour one out. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So many reasons to pour one out. <laughs> so many. <laughs> and then wash your hands afterwards. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us for the Northwest Passage podcast. I'm KLCC News Director Rachel McDonald. I'm Morning Edition host Ani Katz. I'm reporter Brian Bull. And I'm Journalism Fellow Elizabeth Gabriel. Bye.